0: Turning this evening to the book of Acts and the third chapter Acts chapter 3 and we want to read a portion here in this chapter beginning at the verse number 12 so please turn your Bibles to this portion it's good to see you here tonight and we pray that God will be with us and touch our hearts as we gather before him and we worship him around his own precious word and may he draw very near and Give us help by the Holy Spirit as we come to hear the message that He has given for tonight. So Acts chapter 3, I'm reading from verse number 12. Before we read, let's have a word of prayer, and then we will read the Scriptures and come to the Lord's message. Our Heavenly Father, we continue in Thy presence in the name of Thy Son, our Savior. We approach Thee through His merit. We confess freely that we have no merit of our own whatsoever. And yet we thank Thee for the satisfaction that Christ has made unto God for sin. And we bless Thee that Thou hast raised him from the dead, as the sign and the seal that the sacrifice offered has been received, and that divine law has been fulfilled, and divine justice has been met in all its demands. And divine wrath has been turned away from all those who believe in Christ. We thank Thee, O Lord, that when we know these truths, we can come before Thee and have that, that personal satisfaction within our hearts that with Christ God is well pleased, and therefore He does accept and He pardons all those who rest in Christ. Lord, show sinners these truths. Deliver them from their own efforts, their own works, their own search for some kind of standing with God that doesn't even exist. And may they be drawn to Christ and to Calvary to see the glorious and the wondrous fullness that there is in Him, to save, to justify, to declare righteous before a holy God. O Lord, move, we pray. Bless this meeting right through. Bring a stillness over it. Grant us a sense of thy nearness. Give power in the Holy Ghost. O Lord, cleanse my heart in Jesus' blood, and fill me with thy spirit, I pray. And Lord, give utterance in the Holy Ghost this night, and may there be a time of refreshing and blessing as we wait at thy feet. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen, amen. So Acts 3, verse number 12, let us hear the word of God. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly in us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead. Whereof we are witnesses, and his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given Him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted that your sins may may be blotted out when the times of refreshing "...shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive, until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets, since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you, "'Of your brethren, like unto me, "'him shall ye hear in all things "'whatsoever he shall say unto you. "'And it shall come to pass "'that every soul which will not hear that prophet "'shall be destroyed from among the people. "'Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel "'and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, "'have likewise foretold of these days.'" Ye are the children of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. And the Lord will bless the reading of his own word, as we know he has promised to do. The passage I've read with you contains another of the gospel messages preached by the Apostle Peter in early New Testament church times. This message was preached around three o'clock in the afternoon, as we learn from the first verse of this chapter. There we read, of Peter and John going into the temple at the hour of prayer, which is identified in that first verse as the ninth hour. The temple worship had two designated designated hours for prayer, one in the morning at 9 a.m. and the other at 3 p.m., taking uh, numbers in the way in which we speak of time. You see, in Jewish time, 9 a.m. was regarded as the third hour of the day, simply because the Jewish day began at six in the morning, and therefore nine was the third hour of the day, and then going right forward to three in the afternoon, that was reckoned by the Jews to be the ninth hour of the day. So at three in the afternoon, Peter preached what we have in the verses read with you this evening. On the day in view in this chapter, as the two apostles, Peter and John, approached the temple, their attention was drawn to a man who for many, many years had lain at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate. He was placed there daily at those temple gates. He begged for alms from those who were in the process of entering into the house of God during the course of any given day. On that day that's in view, In these verses, this man received more than alms or uh, money could ever have brought him under the power of the Holy Spirit, channeled through the Apostle Peter. This man was instantaneously healed. But above that and beyond that, as he so wondrously demonstrated by his songs of praises, he was also savingly converted to the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. As a result of all that, those who were going into the house of God who knew this man and saw that he was healed and heard him singing and praising and saw him leaping for joy were drawn together to uh, into the temple precincts so that Peter therefore in an instant had a congregation brought together to whom he could preach the gospel, which, of course, he precisely did. One of the striking features of Peter's preaching is that twice he employed the word times as he brought the message that day. In verse 19, we read of times of refreshing. In verse 21, we read of times of restitution. Now, in the New Testament, There are two main words that are both translated time, and they're actually used in these two verses. The word in verse 19 indicates specific points of time. When the Lord does something, as it is here in this particular case, the Lord came and the Lord worked and the Lord moved, at a certain time that day, namely three o'clock in the afternoon. And that gives you an example of the use of the word times in verse 19. So, it indicates specific points in time, but the word in verse 21 refers to a succession of times. And so, the use of both words in Peter's message underlines a very important point. It is this, that throughout human history, there have been specific times or points in time when the Lord has stepped in and has wrought redemptively on behalf of men, rescuing sinners, bringing multitudes to Himself, expanding His kingdom, His kingdom, and spreading abroad the gospel. There have been points in time, actual hours in time when God suddenly broke through and did those wondrous things that I've just outlined for you. And then, of course, there have been successive times or seasons during which the Lord has worked among men in applying to them in an ongoing way all the benefits of redemption and the blessings of the gospel. And so the Bible has a lot to say about times. Focusing on this matter of times, when we look carefully and prayerfully at Peter's message, as we've just read through it, we will discover that it underlines a variety of times in the economy of God in dealing with sinners. These times are all interlinked. They, are, they all pertain to the gospel. Combined, they teach that God has intervened in human history to deliver men from their sins. And therefore, all of these times, we may call them gospel times. That's really the subject of my message tonight, gospel times. That's the way in which I purpose to preach from this passage this evening, to show you actually a number of times that this passage outlines. I know it refers to two of them specifically, as I've just shown you in these words, times of refreshing and times of restitution, but There are other times mentioned here and I want to draw them to your attention. And I pray that as I do so, God will speak through His Word and He will show to sinners in this gathering tonight that you are still living in times of gospel privilege and you should seize the opportunity to come to Christ, to seek the Savior, to benefit your soul of all that Christ has accomplished and wrought out in His person and in His work in order to save men and women from their sins and bring to them everlasting life and give unto them the great hope of glory itself. Sinner, notice the times, the gospel times with me that this passage sets before us. And may God move tonight in your heart. And may this be the time for you when you will be saved. First of all, times of revelation. Times of revelation. This is actually a major point in Peter's message. When I looked at this message and worked on it, and and then even tonight before the meeting began, I said to myself I should do a series on this passage because there's so much here about these times. And even this very first point, times of revelation, in fact there's far more than I can even get through tonight in trying to move through this message point by point. I shouldn't have said that because that will make you wonder where I'm going, but times of revelation. You see, this passage shows that throughout Old Testament history, there were times of revelation during which the Lord made known unto men His great purpose to save sinners and redeem them from their evil, their iniquity, their fallen state. This matter of the divine revelation pointing to the salvation of sinners is emphasized in these verses by frequent references to God's prophets. Did you notice how often we read of the prophets in these verses? And they are the Old Testament prophets. For example, look at verse 18. And it says in that verse, but those things which God before. Now there's a time reference. This is a time of revelation in verse 18. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all His prophets. The word showed in that verse means pronounced. And so God pronounced through all His prophets truths and facts and details concerning Christ, concerning the gospel. It was the very gospel that those prophets themselves believed. It was the very gospel concerning which they wrote and about which they stood up and they preached to the generations of their times. And God himself, through them, he pronounced, he gave revelation about Christ, as it says here in verse 18, and his sufferings. Just look at that verse again. It says, Those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Then go down to verse number 21. And it says there, toward the end of that verse, God has spoken by the mouth of all his prophets since the world began. And then quickly, verse number 24. As I said, there's so much in these verses about the Old Testament prophets. Verse 24, Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel, that is from Samuel's day, and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days, the very days in which Peter was living, and preaching the Word of God. And so, in verse 24, there's a large collective group of prophets in view. All the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after. How men and women notice here how marvelously and carefully down through the Old Testament section of history of this world, God spoke. God gave times of revelation and it was all about the message of redemption. It wasn't about politics. It wasn't about national affairs. It wasn't about material things. It was always about the gospel. Because God down through time had one single purpose in working in this world, and that was to save men from their sins. This is ancient revelation. At the close of verse 21, it says, God has spoken, as it says there by His prophets, since the world began. And you can't get anything more ancient than that. That takes us way back to the very beginning. Literally those words, since the world began, read this way, from of old, signifying something that is ancient. And the emphasis there is on this fact that the gospel is not some new message. The gospel has been from of old, even from eternity, we might say. From the very beginning, from the world began, from of old, God's ancient and eternal covenant of grace to save a people from every nation was unfolded and made known by His faithful prophets. And sinner, I want you to understand tonight that the message that saves is therefore suited to every generation and every time, every age. And that means it's suited to your spiritual needs. God, from the very beginning, beginning, has given this ancient revelation, and it continues to this very day, as he speaks through his own written word. It's ancient revelation, and therefore there is but one message contained in the Bible, and it's the message of Christ and him crucified, the message of redemption through the blood, the message of the forgiveness of sins, the message of peace with God from the very beginning. God has been saying this, and he hasn't changed his message. This is also authoritative revelation. The references here to God speaking through his prophets is clear. Here's the distinct proof of the authoritativeness of the revelation of the gospel. God has spoken again and again and again. He's the one who was speaking through the prophets. That, my friend, rings with authority. God has spoken. You you note that. You pay heed to that fact. The gospel message is not some limpid, anemic, weak thing that a man has thought up. The gospel message has all the authority of God about it, divine authority, heavenly authority, unchangeable authority, unquestionable authority. Therefore, it is authoritative revelation. And let me tell you, That fact destroys all the false messages of deceitful men who come with their own message and their own thinking and they press home upon people's minds and into their hearts what they think, what they have to say. And my dear friend, these prophets simply preached what God had said. And that's what the faithful man Peter was doing, and that's what every faithful preacher has been doing down through the ages ever since, because that's the message that undermines every false gospel, the authoritative revelation of God. Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians 4 about those things. He he says, we don't handle the Word of God deceitfully. We do not come with a message that has been watered down and changed and adjusted to suit people and suit their tastes and their culture and their thinking and their times. No, he says if we do that, then the gospel is hid, and it's hid from those who are blind and whom the God of this world has blinded. And therefore, the only way they can be delivered is through the authoritative revelation of Almighty God. And my friend, because it's authoritative, that gives the guarantee that all who seek Christ, all who believe on the Lord Jesus, all who turn away from their own idols and their own works and their own ways and their own religions that are false and turn to Jesus Christ, they will be saved. And from whatever you need to turn May you turn this night, and may you lay hold upon Jesus Christ as He's revealed to you from this ancient authoritative revelation. But you know, as you look at this matter of times of revelation, it is also an agreed revelation. In verse 18 and in verse 21, you have the, the twofold use of these words, and they're interesting. Here's how it reads. The mouth, singular, of all his prophets, plural. Do you notice that? There's agreement. The mouth of all his prophets. And the first prophet there ever was on this earth was Abel. I'm taking the time after the fall. The Lord Jesus verifies that in the Gospel of Luke where he speaks of all the prophets from Abel right down. And so there's Abel. And then you've got Noah. And, of course, Enoch in between. And you've got got Abraham. And you keep on going. These are all prophets. But here's the marvelous thing. There was one mouth. It simply means one voice. It was one message. And it says the mouth of all the prophets. One message. It's Christ and Him crucified. Christ the Redeemer, Christ the Savior of men. One message revealed from heaven. Now listen, sinner. Believe it, or you will perish. This ancient authoritative agreed revelation, if you disregard it, if you treat it with disbelief and scorn or whatever, and you embrace some other lie, some false notion, whatever it might be, you will certainly perish. If you turn not from your sin to lay hold upon what God says in this revelation, you have no hope you will be lost forever. Times of revelation. Secondly, we have times of reconciliation. Now take you to verse 21 again. Where the opening words are these, whom the heaven must receive. And that's with reference to Christ, whom the heaven must receive. The words signify where Christ presently is. He's in heaven, there's no doubt about that, and we heard about that this morning. It's a reference here to His exalted state, which means that it is speaking of what happened after He had finished the work that was given him to do. And the words signify that it was actually necessary that the heaven would receive Christ. Jesus Christ could not be kept from going back into heaven. Why? Because Christ had done the work and finished the work that saves. Therefore, The heavens must receive Him. Do you notice the word must there? Verse 21. The heaven must receive Him. The heaven can't shut Him out. The heaven cannot debar the Lord from, from entering back into heaven because our blessed Savior has secured reconciliation between God and men. And therefore, Peter spells out in this message, as to why it was necessary for heaven to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of those details that he gives us down through these verses indicate that there are what I call times of reconciliation. Reconciliation means peace. It means agreement. And Peter's pointing out here that there are times of reconciliation still in existence and still abroad and still pointing to men and women that there's a way of peace with God and there's a way back to God and that He will save those who believe in His Son. Oh, men and women, get it well into your mind tonight. There are times of revelation and God has finished that revelation and that leads on to times of reconciliation. You see, you need to be reconciled to God. Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians 5 of these matters in that wonderful little passage, verses 18 to 21, where he refers to reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation. And he says, We beseech you as though we spoke like Christ Himself. Be ye reconciled to God, for He hath made Him as Christ to be sin." for us, that is, to be held guilty for us and for our sins, that ye might be made righteous in Him. There you have it. That is reconciliation. It's all based, you see, on what Jesus Christ has done And we have Christ accomplishing a certain work as Peter spelled out in these marvelous verses. That emphatic statement in verse 18 says, but those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Christ was to suffer and thank God what he was given to do in terms of his suffering, his redemptive work. He hath so fulfilled. The sufferings of Christ were expected, as those words indicate, that He should or Christ should suffer. There was an expectation that the Lord would come, the Lord would be born, the Lord would come into the world, He would become our Redeemer by taking our humanity. That was expected from ancient times, all agreed, all marked by authority. And therefore, on that basis, this whole idea, this great, concept of times of reconciliation came uh, to be known and to be understood and therefore it was necessary for the Lord to suffer because that was expected of him and he fulfilled it as it tells us here. He executed it. He hath so fulfilled. My friend there is reconciliation accomplished by the death, the sufferings of Jesus Christ. If you are to have peace with God, if you are to be reconciled to God, it can only be through what Christ has accomplished, what he has fulfilled. When he became man and did not cease to be God, stepping into time and into history, suffering from the moment he was born, right through all his days until those sufferings reached their climax at Calvary. He suffered, and he suffered again, but he reached the peak of those sufferings when he was nailed to a cross, when his blood was shed, when men took him and they crucified him, and the wrath of God fell on him, and the curse of the law pierced his very soul. Why all this? To bring in times of reconciliation. To bring in a basis upon which God and men could be at peace. Christ accomplishing is what you have there. And then Christ arising. You find that in these verses. I haven't time to take you into all the verses, but in verses 14 and 15 you will see it. Verse 15 is a, a striking verse killed the prince of life. There's a play in the words there. Christ is the prince of life. The word prince means author. He's the author of life. But the only way that Christ could become the author of life to sinners is by His being killed. He must give His own life to be The Prince of Life. And it says, kill the Prince of Life whom God hath raised from the dead. And therefore, you see Christ arising. And what we've been taught is it's not through a dead religion that you're reconciled to God. It is through the living Christ. Christ who died, but who rose again and whom the heavens received. And there you see you have Christ ascending, Christ accomplishing redemption in His sufferings, Christ arising out of death, out of the grave, out of the tomb, as the sign and the seal that all that had to be done was done, and then Christ ascending, the heaven receiving Him. That's the very same word as you have in Acts 1. And if you'll know that lovely verse, Acts 1 verse 9, where it says, As He ascended up, a cloud received Him out of their sight. That was the cloud of glory. That was the splendor of heaven coming down to greet the Saviour and envelop him as he ascended up, and it received him out of the sight of the disciples. And now we are told here in verse 21 that heaven has received him. It's the same idea, and those words have a deliberate, joyful tone to them. Heaven has received the Lord Jesus, and there he is at God's right hand, And He's able to save to the uttermost all who come unto God by Him. And that means that having accomplished redemption and having arisen from the dead and having ascended up to the right hand of the Father on high, we are living in times of reconciliation with God. Now there you have the biblical and the Christian philosophy of history. Jesus Christ First of all, stepping into history. See it that way. He stepped into history. He stepped into time. He left the glory behind him. Not ceasing to be God, but becoming man. And therefore, as the God-man, stepping into time and history to do that great work, and then ascending back to heaven where he rules. And from heaven, he's applying redemption to the nations, applying the blood to countless souls, drawing them out of the world out of darkness, out of sin, calling them out, separating from fallen humanity, forgiving them, changing them, making them new creatures, delivering them from the fear of the grave and from the fear of death and giving them the guarantee of glory. My dear friend, that's reconciliation. And it's based upon the meritorious and the finished work of our Savior. And therefore I can say to you tonight without any hesitation, that taking this hour in which we find ourselves, this is within the framework of the times of reconciliation. Will you avail yourself of peace with God? Through the Christ who accomplished all, arose from the dead, ascended back to glory, and ever lives to save. Will you come to him tonight? This may be perhaps new to you. It may be you sat under some kind of a message in the past that has focused on you, your works, or religion, or whatever. But it has been a false gospel, a lying deceit. It has led you astray. And you thought that by following that philosophy or that way that was put to you as being the right way, you have been led away completely from truth. But here you are tonight in this meeting house and you're hearing the Word of God. You're under the sound of a message that tells you about times of revelation and times of reconciliation. And you have the privilege of hearing that which saves the soul. Be ye reconciled to God. Then we have times of restitution. For we see that in verses 20 and 21. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. And those words plainly make it known that the Christ who presently reigns in heaven will one day return from heaven. Verse 20 says, he says it clearly. Peter makes it absolutely clear. He shall send Jesus Christ. That is the Savior's return. That is the triune God sending the Lord Jesus back into this world at that day that is yet future. And verse 21 enlarges on that whom the heaven must receive until, until the times of restitution of all things. Sinner, do you realize this? Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, will be sent a second time. He was sent the first time. He came in shameful surroundings. He came in his humiliation. He came in all the lowly estate into which he voluntarily entered. He came to be despised of men and shut out from their company rejected by them, vilified by them, and finally crucified by them. He came for that the first time. But I tell you now, when He comes the second time, it will be completely different. As Paul says to the Hebrews, in Hebrews nine twenty-eight. 28, unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time. Without sin. That means he's not coming to be under sin. He's not coming to be subject to death. He's not coming ever again to be treated the way he was treated the first time. It's all going to be very, very different. And therefore, the times of restitution are mentioned here clearly and plainly. When the Lord will come again, and this passage, and countless other passages, make this absolutely clear: The Lord is coming personally. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I pause to let that sink in. the world is not listening. You have not been listening to the warnings of God about your need, about your state, about your path in life, about your sin. You've know, not been listening, my friend, it seems, to the warnings about hell and wrath and judgment. And they're real warnings. And they are warnings of that which is terrible. You've been shutting your ears. You will not listen to God. And yet I want to tell you tonight, there's a moment coming when you will hear that shout and then you will listen. But it will be too late because that will be the shout that will signal the ushering in of everything that will then ensue from that event of the Lord's coming. And your judgment will descend. He's coming personally. He's coming Mm. visibly. Every eye shall see him. Now, I know some dear people talk about the secret rapture, but there's nothing secret about the coming of the Lord nothing whatsoever. It will be visible. That's what the Bible says. Every eye shall see him. It goes on to say, they also which pierced him. Who are they? They're the ones who nailed him to the tree, who have long since died, and died in their sin and the rejection of Christ. So how will they see Him? Because they will be resurrected. And they will see Him. Saved will see Him, unsaved will see Him. At that same moment, as the Scripture shows, I could keep on going here. He's coming, therefore, and that's the pattern of His coming. Physically, Visibly, bodily, splendidly, triumphantly, He is coming again. But what is the purpose of all this? Well, here we have it. He's going to usher in the times of restitution, and the word restitution means restoration. And so times of restoration or restitution are coming, and the world of Course is out of order. The world is in chaos. The world has been that way from the very time man fell. Romans chapter 8 makes it absolutely clear, verses 20 to 22. Read those verses. Maybe tonight when you go home, look at them carefully. Where Paul tells you that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain. Together until now. And it's still happening. But when the Lord comes, that's all going to change. Those same verses tell you that. That when the Savior comes, there will be a restitution of what creation originally knew. And originally enjoyed. A glorious restitution. The creation delivered from the bondage of corruption. And the creation cleansed from all the pollution and corruption of the sin of man and the devastation that man has brought upon creation. Here's the irony of the whole situation from a certain perspective. What I'm saying is this. You have all these people today and all these organizations and they're talking about climate change and they're talking about uh, saving the world and, 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 and delivering it from its pollution and so on. And they don't understand that what they're talking about is this. They themselves have caused the devastation. Man has, I mean, by his sinning. That's the one thing they will not face. It is sin that has brought it all. Man's sin, man's sin, has brought the world into chaos. And every earthquake is the earth groaning and travailing. Romans 8 being fulfilled. And mankind being reminded, your sin has brought all calamity upon the world and upon the human race. But brethren and sisters, there's a glorious day coming, times of restitution. Second Peter speaks of it, where Peter says in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come. As a thief in the night, suddenly, unexpectedly, it will arrive that day And the heavens and the earth will pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And it goes on to read there, or you go on to read there about the new heavens and the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And what that passage means and teaches is this, that the present earth and the present heavens all around us, that man has ruined by his sinning are going to be delivered. It's not new in the sense of new for the first time, something that exists for the first time. It's new in the sense, that's the meaning of the word new in the New Testament, the word that's used there. It means new in the sense of being changed. You could have an old car, and it's riddled with rust, and I have watch people work on this I couldn't do it, I haven't got a clue and they can work on that old rusty car and they can restore it it's the same car etc, etc but it's restored, now that's a very poor illustration but that's the sense of the change that's coming, the restitution that is coming at the return of our Saviour And that will usher in the glory of the saints. They will live and reign with Christ forever. They will be with Him in the new heavens and the new earth. That will be their inheritance. The question is, when those times of restitution come, and they are coming, where will you be? Because that brings me to my final thought tonight. Times of retribution. Verse 22. Moses had spoken about this prophet. A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren. This is Christ. Like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you and it shall come to pass that every soul of which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed. Times of retribution. Those who will not hear Christ. He who is revealed in that whole series of revelations that we've thought about. And the one who has brought in reconciliation for men and who's coming again the second time to bring in this glorious restitution, if you do not heed him, if you do not trust him, if you do not seek him, friend, then the time of your retribution will arrive. That's why Peter said, As you read in verse 19, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. There's another one. I haven't time to think about it. But notice those opening words of 19. Repent, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. My friend, do you see that? Whatever your sins are, you must turn from your sin. You must be converted. That means you must turn in another direction. And there's no repentance that is not followed by turning to Christ, they are inseparable. And therefore, it's repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ. And in that way only will your sins be blotted out. Gone, covered, and forever washed away. Those lovely, those gracious words that your sins may be blotted out. Do you not care about your sins? They're on your account, they're against your name. They condemn you, they're ruining you, they're corrupting you, they're going to damn you, friend. But if you come to Christ and come now tonight, then you will escape the times of retribution. And you'll enter into the eternal times of refreshing. That's what it's all about, the times of refreshing mentioned there in verse 19. Oh, what refreshing it will be to be home with the Lord, away from this old world, never again to be tempted, never mind never again sinning. With the Lord, amen, so let it be, as the hymn says. What refreshing even to the soul to think about that and focus on that. But sinner, with this you have nothing to do until you get to Christ until you trust him until you flee from the wrath to come now will you take that step tonight we have looked at these times they all have to do with the gospel and therefore heed What God is saying to your soul, repent ye and be converted. Turn from your sin to Christ. Whoever you are, young, old, male, female, come tonight. Let us bow in prayer. Let us wait before the Lord. Let us do so quietly, reverently. Just forget about your bags and your coats and just stop all the fussling. The meeting is not finished until I pray. Let's be silent. My friend... God has been speaking tonight. Times are rolling over all our heads. But here is the biblical view of times. And may you this night be wise and realize that you will face awful times unless You seek the Lord. And so now as you bow before the Lord in the quietness of these moments before we do close, let your cry go up to heaven. Let your heart and mind be engaged with Christ and seek Him. He's here to save you. He's here by His Spirit through the Word. Turn in faith to Christ at this moment. Trust in Him. Be our joy to help you with these issues and give you further counsel from the Word. And I urge you this night not to just go away as you normally do, as you've always done, but remain and seek out help Come to the Lord Jesus while he is to be found. Mr. Sturt and I are here. We'll be glad to meet with you and help you. We're going down to the door now. You come. Don't just run out some side door to evade the challenge. Come and see us. And may God help you. And Father, we pray tonight that people here and people online will be dealt with by God so much so that there will be no evasion permitted to them that they will be gripped and arrested and be unable to escape the challenge of Thy Word. Hear prayer, O Lord, we pray, and come and save for Thou alone art able to save. Lord, answer prayer and bless us as we come before Thee in these closing moments and then remember the meeting afterwards for the youth. Continue to work, we pray, and may the Savior be magnified. Part us now with Thy blessing. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit with all of your people, tonight and forevermore. In the Savior's name we pray, amen.